Oh, the rains. Wasn't that nice this week to have all that rain? And it was amazing to hear some numbers, like we got more rain this past week than we had all of last season. Wow. I mean, having all that rain, and it kind of made you feel good and in a sense brought you some relief to know that maybe this drought will end. We're getting what we need. The Advent season of the church year that we're in now is about getting what we need. And just like people were maybe singing in the rain because of all that nice rain we got, uh, we also sing a lot during this time of the year because we reflect on these blessings of hope and peace, joy, and and love that, that God gives us through his Son. But sometimes we may not feel all those things. We may not feel the relief that God wants us to have through his Son. In looking at songs or talking about songs during Christmas, we we often think about the various Christmas songs, but there are other songs too, songs that are simply words in Scripture. And we want to look at one particular song today from the prophet Isaiah in the Old Testament. Now, he had a message that was filled with a lot of strong words of judgment, we would say. He was telling the people how upset God was with the way they had turned away from him. And you read that and you're thinking, no, there's not a lot of relief in that. But yet, through his his words, we, we do find some relief. Despite the fact that his people were feeling oppression because other countries were coming and, and attacking them, and they were being carried off as prisoners, Isaiah still could say there was relief in that. Now, today is December 7th, and a number of people will remember that this is the day America was attacked, 73 years ago. But we still remember it, as the president then said, as a day that lives in infamy. We think of the lives that were lost and then the fear that was brought to people. It was a day that really changed life in our country. I know for my father, he was now going off to war and fought in the Pacific. An uncle also went off to war. He didn't come back home alive. For those of you who maybe were alive at that time, you probably were young, but you can still remember how life was changed. By the way, calling you young back from all that time is a compliment. (laughs) But for most of us, the attack of Pearl Harbor is simply a page in a history book or, or a movie or video. We would say maybe we're at peace. We're not at war like we were in, during World War II or maybe like during the days of Isaiah. But do we feel relief? Maybe we're at peace, but do we feel relief? Don't we have a little bit of nervousness or fear or concern about our security There's this war on terror, and then we hear of the tensions between nations. Is there really peace? 
is there really relief? In our messages this month, we've put it under the theme of a favorite Christmas carol, Do You Hear What I Hear? And we're looking at songs from Scripture, asking that question, Do You Hear the Message? Today, we're given a message of peace from Isaiah. Now, let's go back to that thought of the rain again. Boy, it was really nice to get all of that rain, but we were also told that was just like a drop in the bucket when it comes to what was really needed. I remember one forecaster said, yeah, we got like 20% of the drought taken care of. And I thought, that can't be right. I think she meant we got 20% of our yearly average already. <laughs> but that just points something out. Even if the drought would really be taken away this season, we still have this ongoing need, don't we? In a sense, the drought never goes away. There's always that need for more rain. And that's true with our relationship with God, too, which might be categorized as being stressful or maybe unpeaceful or maybe war. Because the Bible even says the sinful mind is hostile toward God. And the Bible says anybody who lives as a friend of the world is an enemy with God. So what is our relationship like with him? Maybe we sense hostility or feel that. Is that what God says? Here's what God says through Isaiah. Comfort. Comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem. Although they were experiencing war and oppression right now, or maybe we're feeling that there is no peace with God because of their sins and, and what was happening, God was saying, no, 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 comfort. And he says it twice, comfort, comfort, speak comfort. Speak tenderly, he says. In, in the original Hebrew of the Bible, that word says, speak to the heart. God wants us to know in our heart. He wants us to be able to believe and to trust and experience peace with him. And so Isaiah goes on and he says, proclaim to her, and that word proclaim in the Hebrew means speak in a real convincing way. Proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. What is he telling us with this stanza of his song? He's telling us that God is proclaiming to you pardon, pardon. He, he did it in, in three interesting phrases. First, he said, tell her that her hard service is completed. That word hard service in the Hebrew was a word that referred to military action, or we might say fighting, a battle. God was saying, the battle's over, the fighting is done. Now, I wonder how that looked or sounded to the people in Israel, because they were being attacked. They were being oppressed. And in, in about 100 years or so, they're going to be carried off into captivity and, and be there for 70 years before they could come back. 
How could God say the war is over? From God's perspective, it was done. What they were going through now, the, the, the oppression, the attacks, and that captivity, that had nothing to do with what they needed to go through to take care of the war, to end the war. It was already done. Think if somebody would say to you today, the drought's over. Well, wouldn't that be nice to hear? But we know that we still need to do more to get caught up. And even when we do get caught up, there's still going to be a need after that. It, the need doesn't go away, does it? And that's kind of true with our need for forgiveness too, right? Because I know I'm going to need it this afternoon when I'm home. I know I'm going to need it tonight and throughout the week. My need for forgiveness doesn't go away. Why? Well, you know, this week with all the rain, uh, the kids were not able to play outside very much. So yesterday was a nice sunny day, and my uh, little eight-year-old is out in the backyard, and he's playing. I thought, oh, great, he got outside to play. And he's talking to himself, and he's singing to himself. And I thought, gee, I wonder what he's doing out there. That's so fun. So I go out and look. He found mud. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought, well, isn't that just the way it is, though, right? We keep looking for the dirt. We keep looking. We don't care. It's fun. We keep doing what we shouldn't be doing. That's why we have this ongoing need for forgiveness. And yet, from God's perspective, he says, the battle is done. How could he say that? Isaiah told us with the next phrase in the song. He says, tell her that her sin has been paid for. Last week in my message, we looked at another term from another song in the Bible that talked about our debt being canceled. And when you look at that perspective, you think, okay, I, I have something I owe God, but God is just kind of erasing it and saying, eh, don't worry about it. But that isn't really the case. God doesn't just erase it and say, ah, don't, don't worry about it. It had to be paid. And Isaiah tells us that here. Your sin has been paid for. What you owed has been paid for. And the word he's using in the Hebrew was a word used several other times in the Old Testament as it described the sacrifices the people were bringing to God to signify a sacrifice needs to be made for my sins. What Isaiah was simply picturing here was the sacrifice of Jesus. Throughout Isaiah's book, we have these beautiful pictures that talk about the Savior, from promises of his immaculate conception by the Holy Spirit to coming into reigning and ruling in this world and in our hearts. It speaks of his ministry, it speaks of his message, and then it speaks of his death and resurrection. Isaiah pictures him as a lamb that was being led to slaughter. He speaks of him as somebody whom we despised and was rejected because of what was happening to him. But he talks about how our sins were put on him and the suffering that would bring us peace was on him and that by his wounds we've been healed. That's how sin was paid for. And God saw that 
700 years before it even happened. And then Isaiah said, as a result, tell her that she has received, that is, tell us we have received double for our sins. Now, when you first read it, that sounds like what a parent would say, huh? Right? When the kids get in trouble and you say, you did that? I told you not to do that, and you just went ahead and did it anyway? You've got it even worse now. <laughs> That's not what God is saying. He's not saying you got double for your sins, double punishment. He's telling us we have a double cure. First of all, he says, tell her she has received it. You already have it. 700 years before Christ would come and die for us, he already said, you have forgiveness. And he describes it in this way. He says, you've got double. It was a word that meant a folding over. Okay? You've doubled it. You folded it over. He's telling us there is more than enough forgiveness for your continual need because you keep sinning and sinning. Now, why double? To me, it, it pictures those two things that we need from God. I need forgiveness, but I also need that righteousness that allows me to stand before him unashamed. And I have that from Jesus. The Apostle John put it this way in his gospel. From his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. A double blessing. Grace upon grace. And the Apostle Paul said, where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. You are pardoned. The war's over. The other day on TV, my wife was listening to uh, a country, let's see, a Christmas country music special. Now, to me, country music is about some guy singing about how his girlfriend left him, but he still has his truck and his hunting dog, so life is okay. <laughs> that got me in trouble after the first service, because there's a lot of country people there, I guess. But, but that's just my view of country music. Anyway, so she's listening to it, and it was really good music. It was Christmas music. It was very well done. But what struck me and, and her was that you know, it wasn't just music about snow or Santa or stuff. It was about God. And in fact, they had one person, I didn't really think it was country music, it was Christian contemporary music. They had this composer, and we do some of his music with our band. They're singing his song, and it was all about Jesus. It was beautiful. And my wife said to me, do you think that in our lifetime, we're going to this is going to stop. We're not going to hear the songs about Jesus on TV. And I said, well, first of all, I hope not. But I said, you know what? I don't, think, I don't think it'll stop. I think it's impossible to stop. It's too hard to stop. Oh, sure, I know the world has been trying to, you know, get rid of those nativity scenes and don't say Merry Christmas, say Happy Holidays. But they can't stop Christmas. Christmas is about Christ. And so we have to be like Isaiah. Proclaim this. Convince people. Speak to their hearts. This is what you need. This is what you have from God. We're at peace with God. You know, sometimes when we experience the troubles of life, hardships, sickness, whatever it is, 
we might feel that, that, that God is trying to get at us. God is, God is punishing us. But that's not it at all. We're at peace with God. In fact, Isaiah, earlier in his book, put it this way. You, God, will keep in perfect peace. And it's interesting, that phrase that we translate perfect peace, in the Hebrew is really peace, peace. You, God, will keep in peace, peace, double. Those whose minds are steadfast because they trust in you. You know, maybe someday the world will be able to stop us from saying Christmas, but they can't stop Christmas. They can't stop or take away what God has done for us and what God tells us is ours. Peace. 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 And that's why Christmas will always be Christmas and why it will always be joyful. Listen how Isaiah goes on to tell us of that joy in our life. A voice of one calling, in the wilderness prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground shall become level, the rugged places a plain. God starts out by describing in this promise of his presence in our life what, what our life is like without God. He compares it to a wilderness. He said, here's a voice that's crying out. And that voice was probably referring to John the Baptist who would prepare the way for Jesus. But really it's referring to any of the prophets of God, any of the scriptures of God that simply speak God's message to us. And here's what he's saying. Without God, your life is like a wilderness. Well, what's that like? Well, it's dry. There's nothing there to nurture life. There's no potential for life. And that describes what we're like by nature. By nature, we don't have anything in us that gives us spiritual life or that connection with God. Further, he described the wilderness as, as just kind of a rough place. He talked about mountains and, and, and hills and, and valleys. We might say bumps and potholes. It's simply describing that life isn't so smooth. Life is, is, is rough and has its troubles and its challenges. Sometimes those troubles and challenges are right here. Maybe I'm the one who's high and exalted with my selfishness. Or maybe I'm the one who's down in the pit because I keep falling in those potholes of sin. Because of that, there really is no future. Now, you look at the wilderness or the, the desert areas in our country, right? And we think, now, who could live here? Nobody can live here. That's why it's all barren. There's no future there. Granted, we've come along with our engineering and technology and communities are built up in the desert. But that's only because we've changed it. The natural condition of a wilderness is no future, no life unless there's a change. And so Isaiah tells us, look at the change that God has brought to your life. He says, prepare a way for the Lord. Prepare a highway for God to come to you. 
That's how life will be given to us. God will come to us. Right now, Isaiah is picturing our life as a wilderness, very barren. Earlier in his book, he pictured the change that God brings to that wilderness. He speaks of it having been rained on. He speaks of of things growing and looking beautiful. Listen to how he describes the joy of life when God is in it. The desert and the parched land will be glad. The wilderness will rejoice and blossom. Like the crocus, it'll burst into bloom. It'll rejoice greatly and shout for joy. The glory of Lebanon will be given to it. The splendor of Carmel and Sharon. They will see the glory of the Lord, the splendor of our God. So strengthen those feeble hands. Steady the knees that give way. Say to those with fearful hearts, be strong. Do not fear. Your God will come. He will come with vengeance, with divine retribution. He will come to save you. He will take care of your enemy. He will deal with sin and with death. You have life. And because of that, then, he describes our life now as a plain, as a smooth road. Now, you might say, well... That's nice flowery language, but, you know, my life isn't so smooth, so easy. It's rough at times. Yes, there's sickness. There are struggles, and there is sin. But in all of those things, God is still working. Through the sickness and the struggle, he works us to draw us to himself. And when there is sin, he calls us to himself. Nice words? Also true. Because God has spoken them. Look at what he did to change our life, to give it beauty and joy. Isaiah goes on. The glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all people will see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. God has done it. What has he done? He's revealed his glory. What is that glory? That glory is his grace in Jesus. Think about this. God himself, the Holy, the Almighty, has come into this world to be like us, to be with us, to be here for us, to go through sickness like we do so he can give us strength, to go through struggles like we have gone through, to be there to help us to take our sin upon himself so we won't be punished for it, to rise from the dead that we too will rise and have eternal life. That's the glory of God. That's what the Apostle John was expressing when he talked about the birth of Jesus. He said, the word, Jesus, became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. And that is what Isaiah says, you will see. You'll experience it. You have it. Just listen, because the mouth of the Lord has spoken. There's a drought in our state. We're getting some relief. There's also a drought in our life. 
a need for relief as we go through life, a need to know where we stand with God. Do you feel that thirst for God? You see it played out in the world among us. People looking for relief. And what do they run to? Junk food. <laughs> they go to things that are, are fast and taste good, but overall, they don't give health. They don't sustain you. Listen to the words of this song, the peace that we have in Jesus, which is simply God's grace to us, to love us, forgive us, to bless us. That's the song of peace. Do you hear what I hear? Listen to it. Then sing it and share it. Amen. <laughs>